with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. For 30 years, you've given your community radio all it needs to grow. Fertile soil, abundant sunshine, natural rainfalls, and X amount of that organic fertilizer called love. This summer, come celebrate what you've sown. WERU presents Homegrown, Saturday, July 28th at the Blue Goose on Route 1 in Northport. We'll in turn to Maine's finest reggae. Catch a vibe, murder, and gorilla finger dub band Run the Dance Hall. Fun kicks off at 4.20 and we're taking it all the way to midnight. Food and beverage trucks, live painting to the vibes, even an Irie pinata. You got to show up to see what else. Hosted by your very own reggae selectors, it's WERU's Homegrown. Saturday, July 28th at the Blue Goose in Northport. Tickets 15 in advance, 20 if you can still get them at the door. Purchase your tickets only at WERU.org. WERU is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you. It's time for Let's Talk Animals. Good morning. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. We are live this month again. Uh, gee, three times in a row. That's pretty good. Uh, my listeners can call in anytime. I'll give you a phone number now. Write it down. 469-0500. Uh, give us uh, questions or comments as we go along. And as you know, this is a once-a-month live broadcast on every fourth Thursday. But I do want to plug my other show, Pet Sounds, which is on Sunday at 7.30 in the morning. It's a pre-recorded, uh, lasts about two or three minutes. And I, I'd like to say that I've taken a lot of those pet sounds and uh, converted it into written uh, text and sending it off to a publisher. And maybe we're going to get a book. We'll see. I'll keep you up to date on that. So pet sounds on Sunday morning. Before we get into our uh, talk on beaver ecology with Christy Stout, I do want to address um, a, a concerned listener came into the studio and had some uh, two concerned question comments. I just want to address it because it did relate to a little bit to last month. Uh, one is that this person was very concerned that people should not reach into parked cars with an open window to pet an unfamiliar dog. Uh, and that is very good advice. Uh, dogs in cars tend to be very territorial and defensive and scared. However, if you do see a dog in a parking lot in the summer or in the winter, windows closed, it's very cold, very warm, uh, the first thing I would do is go to the store manager and alert the store manager, and they'll uh, attend to it and hopefully call uh, any uh, fire department or police department if, if you need be. Don't take the matter into your own hands. Uh, I think some people have um, broken car windows uh, to quote-unquote help the puppies or kittens and it just turned into a disaster. So don't stick your hand in a, a, a parked car window with a dog. Just leave them alone. Let them just sit and stare at you. 
Another is uh, another comment this uh, listener was concerned about is service dogs. And I did talk a little bit about this last month and uh, what she was advising, and I agree with this, is do not approach a service dog without permission. Remember from last month, uh, service dogs have a job. They have a specific job to help that person. So they are focused on that job. They're not a pet. And certainly I'm sure the owner will allow you to pet them if need be, but just don't go up and treat them like a pet. They're, they are a working dog and it's pretty, um, you know, they're very serious about their job. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Now let's get get to our talk. I'm very excited. This is uh, going to be a fun hour. I want to introduce Christy Stout, who is uh, very familiar with beavers and beaver ecology. Good morning, Christy. Good morning. Good to have you here. Thank you very much. First of all, as I do with all my guests, I'd like you to just tell me how you got here from there as to um, how you became interested in beavers and where you came from, that sort of thing. Well, I'm somebody who's always uh, grown up and loved to be outside. So that's probably the start of it. But uh, I took a course about five years ago, a year-long course, Maine Master Naturalist. And it's a year-long kind of um, educational course to train citizens to be naturalist volunteers. And at the end of that, we need to do a capstone project. And I did mine on beaver because I've always kind of just thought they were an amazing critter. I uh, probably did my first paper on them in sixth grade, and I've continued to be um, just kind of a- attracted to them in a in a sort of odd, I don't know what way, just the same way I look at a canoe. You know, it's just something that I like. So I did a lot of my work on beaver. I made... Um, some brochures for some land trusts around the areas and have given some talks and uh, made sure that I knew a little bit about what they did. I guess that's how I got from there to here. So your capstone um, project, did you have to go out and collect data? Uh, Yes. Did you do some practical things? What kind of things did you do? To I contacted some experts up at the University of Maine. I read their articles I uh, familiarized myself more with other articles. I did go out and take pictures and observe beaver as well. Um, just a lot of educational things um, to get to know the animal better. So not only book learning, but you went out and yes. observed. Did you observe them in different seasons like winter and, and summer? I did. And uh, I was very lucky on a couple of those occasions. Uh, one time in particular, I went out to a lodge and the ice had formed just a thin layer of ice around the pond. And I was hoping that they had still kept a couple holes open for themselves because they'll try to bash the ice and keep it open as long the as they can. Foreheads. With their foreheads. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They'll get their body on it and kind of drop down, try to be extra heavy. And um, sure enough, the whole pond was sealed except for a big exposed area around the lodge. And in fact, they were swimming in it and eating in it. And it was it was midday, which is very unusual time to see the beaver. Uh, that was probably my best my best catch. And where were the beavers you were uh, observing? What part of the state? They're right here in Bangor. That oh. was on Bangor Land Trust land oh, cool. that particular time. I've also seen them in um, 
Great Pond Mountain Trust lands mm. and done some more walks there on Beaver Sign and uh, up and down the highway not far from Route 1. There's some beaver flowage and uh, in there as well. So they're really coming back. They are. Which is good. Last stuff. Certainly not like they used to be before the Europeans came to the United States, but they're absolutely coming back. Million, tens of millions went before. The, the estimate – I don't know how they estimate this, but yeah. the estimate is there were 200 million here before the Europeans wow. came. And when the Europeans did come um, – We all but wiped them out. Because of their fur. Yes, because of their fur. And, and in fact, part of the reason the Europeans came here was even looking for that kind of resource, which they had wiped out in Europe. How they know they were – They didn't. They, they, were looking, the, they were looking for other places because they'd exhausted trees and they'd exhausted beaver and they'd exhausted a couple other things they really liked. Yeah, trees um, for building ships. And, yeah, so they had to hopefully look for a new land that had new resources. Wow, and they, they found it. And they did find it. And, of course, you know, the history. So they um, – so the main uh, reason for trapping the beavers in this case was for the felt hats. Was it the main – They used the entire pelt for coats, but the felt hats were really um, sought after, kind of the rage of fashion. Um, because they have an undercoat on the beaver pelt. And that, you, you uh, brought one here. Yes, I did. Uh, so my listeners going to have to trust me that I'm feeling it here. It is – the undercoat is very, I don't know, very soft and thick and that's where they get the felt. Yes, the and undercoat. it makes a particular good felt. Um, felt has to be kind of pounded and worked together and the undercoat hairs oh. kind of have like little hooks on them that oh. really help them hook together well and which make it uh, a extremely durable felt, very soft and very, very durable. And that combination uh, was almost the beaver's downfall. Um, but they also made coats out of the, uh, the pelts, out of the beaver fur coats. They were pretty popular. I have a um, an old picture in the house of my dad in one thinking he's all that <laughs> in front of his in his first new car. Or his, I think it wasn't new, his first car. Uh-huh. So there he is in a beaver pelt with his first car behind him with a big smile, you know. Wow. So uh, in, in books and movies you see, um, you know, the mountain men like in Centennial and stuff, they're always trapping in the winter. Correct. And why is that? The undercoat really grows out and gets a lot more thick in the winter. So, so the guard hairs become smaller? Nope. The guard hairs are the same. It's just that the undercoat gets thicker. But it's like they get a second coat. They have like two types of fur on the pelt. And so the guard hair, it gets just thicker as they get older. Um, but it's about the same. But the undercoat really comes in same way a dog might shed yes. and they get more – Fur underneath in the winter. So the undercoat on the beaver really gets thick in the winter. And so if you're really going to make um, felt out of the beaver fur or the beaver coat, uh, you have to trap in the winter. So you're always trapping through the ice. How do you get rid of the guard hairs to get down to the – 
they cut it in strips and they strip some off and they – it's a oh, whole – Wow. Yeah. And then they use, you know, the mercury and the felt and the pounding. And oh, my gosh. So we're mad as a hatter and all of those old <laughs> sayings. Yes, because of the mercury? Correct. Wow. There's, well, there's mercury in the Because it's a heavy metal. Oh. Well, it, there's mercury in the felting process. So a lot of the hatters had neurological problems. Crazy. That is very interesting. Yes. And fortunately – uh, we almost wiped them out, but fortunately, that felt hat thing kind of faded away. Or well, um, how, did, we were, how did we save the beaver? I think we were lucky in a couple ways. First of all, the, there were two hundred million of them, and they're circumpolar. They're found all over the earth, below the tundra, um, but otherwise, like in the United States and Canada, North America, they're from below the tundra all the way down the entire United States except for most of Florida and Louisiana. And there the beaver found they were no match for alligator. So Ch- they chasing. kind of stayed out of those swamps. Yes, so, yeah, self-limiting. <laughs> so that was self-limiting. Okay. But I think that um, some of them escaped our traps and I, I think their numbers really helped them in that process survive and they're fairly versatile. You know, they have um, some banked ends in the side of rivers. They have some lodges out in the middle of rivers. And they just happen to live in some places that were a little too large wetlands for us to want to follow them into. So the, uh, as I understand, there's two kinds of bank dens. One has a natural, like, roots Another one is kind of built into the into the bank and has a hole and stuff. With and yes, kind of, yes. The, and those you don't see very often, or you don't notice. Is that? It depends on the area you're in. You have to have the right kind of uh, sand in the bank. If it really is just sand, and the beaver dig into that, and there's not a root system overhead, the entire den will fall in. So they choose not to make them in those areas. Uh, so th- there has to be the right kind of soil and also in a really, really fast-flowing river, you see more banked ends and fewer lodges out in the middle because they're harder to get started to build. Oh, OK. The the, the banked ones are harder? The, the lodges the out in the middle are harder. So if you're on Pushaw Stream and there's a fairly good current, you'll see even more lodges built near the shore. And in that circumstance, there'd be more bank dens. They'll also use those dens just for air holes, maybe not a whole den, but just a hole that goes in under the water and then comes up towards the surface so there's air. So in the winter when they're iced over, they can go in there, get a breath, and keep going. Okay. And the uh, the lodges in the middle of the water have a hole in the top for ventilation or is just less – Less sticks. No, they actually hold. They no, they like have less sticks, and the sticks are not mudded in that location. They don't mud them. That's amazing. So air can pass, but there is some defense. So if if we go back and talk about how do you even know beaver are in the area? Yes, that's, that's what we wanted to talk about. What are the the signs of a beaver? One of one of the first sign is these pointed. Sticks or stumps 
that they leave behind. And you can see their teeth marks on them. And listeners, um, I'm holding a, a, a stick that has it. I just you have to take my word for it. It's exactly what Christy was saying. I'm sure many of you have have seen these um, these uh, sticks with the teeth marks. And these the size of the trees are typically a couple inches, three or four inches. Probably their favorite is under six inches. Two to three is the the real prize. And their 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 favorite trees are what willows, cottonwoods. Well, besides. Besides the sticks, the other sign that you might see in the lodges that we talked about, the right. chewed bark on trees, you'll also see beaver canals, yes. which would branch out from a pond like fingers would branch out from your hand because beaver aren't very safe on land. So they find ways to branch out further without leaving the water and get to other trees and resources. And, of course, if you see the canals, um, you may also see a dam. And the last way you know they're in the area is a scent mound. And they'll actually – usually they'll put a scent mound either on the immediate side of the water or on a rock or a little area that sticks out of the water. And they'll put some sticks on it and they'll leave some scent marking. How big are so if you're walking looking for beaver signs, what would a scent mound? Oh, it might be five or six inches tall or it might be two or three inches tall. The longer the beaver have been there, the higher the mound will end up getting. As usually the males make those? No, females do as well. Okay. And they serve a really good function in that other beavers passing through that area later that might be looking for a home like the two-year-old kits that are looking for their own place have been turned out of the lodge. They can tell by the scent mound if it's just a male that's in that area, if it's a female that's in that area, and therefore whether it may be welcome to stay or whether it should push on. Ah, okay. And uh, that's pretty important. These beaver have really, really strong teeth, very, very sharp. They do get into some fights with one another, but they're not usually fights to the death. Um, they make their point. Uh, but a lot of these signs and social behavior keep the beaver from killing one another. This so like if, I'm a, uh, if I'm a young male beaver and I come along to another pond and on the scent mound there's a mated pair already, I keep moving. If I get to that pond and I find only a female scent, I'll stick around. And these, uh, of course, beavers are rodents. They're the second largest in the world next to the canabera, I think. I th I, yeah. I'm not sure who's one and two out of that. I but think yes. the canabera is the number one. And, of course, rodents have ever-growing teeth. Their front teeth are growing. Now, tell me about this, uh, the chiseling of their – how they sharpen their teeth. They, they get clump. sharpened naturally when they chew the wood. Okay, do they grind their, the teeth to sharpen them as well, or is it the wood that's sharpened? Not usually. Okay. Usually just the survival mechanism of needing to be using them enough. That keeps them sharp and Will keep trimmed. them sharpened. Okay. Uh, this is WERU. Uh, we're listening to Let's Talk Animals, Aardvarks to Zebras. And uh, this is Dr. John Hunt. Your host, please call 469-0500, 469-0500. We are alive. You can call and ask Christy any question you want about beavers. 
Um, so Chrissy Stout here. Is, we're talking about the beavers and kind of finishing up. You're walking in the woods. You see a lodge in the middle of a pond. You see – how about slides? What's a slide? Is that a is that a that's land? More, that's more an otter phenomena. Ah, Beaver don't slide a lot. But is there a, a – will you see worn areas on the, on the earth? Sometimes. On the ground? You'll see the tail drag sometimes. Okay. Okay. So you'll see a, maybe a scent mound. Mm-hmm. A lodge. What else would you see? You mostly see the pointed stumps, uh, and and yeah. they they really can tell you a lot. For example, if you see blonde wood as a pointed stump, they're in the area right now. That's a newly cut stump. Blonde. If you see gray okay. pointed stumps, they were there in the last year or two. If they're gray and they have turkey tail fungus growing on them. It's three or four or five years old. So let's say I see um, gray stumps, no blonde stumps. The beavers probably left the area, but they were probably there two or three years ago. Okay. So the sign tell you, even though the beaver are nocturnal and you don't often see them, the sign can tell you an awful lot about if they're in the area, if they're there now, if they're healthy, and when they may leave. We have a question from uh, David from Brooklyn. Good morning, David. How are you? Hey, thanks, guys, for this perennially wonderful show. Thank you. Uh, I I just wondered if uh, the, the beaver student could speculate as to what the uh, the watershed of the Penobscot might have looked like back when there were so many millions of beavers before they were wiped out. How things might have looked different in the in the lay of the land back in a time like that. Back hundreds of years ago, or yeah, before the trapping. Ah, gosh, I wish we knew when there were two hundred million um, beavers. I, yeah, I think that's what I understand there were quite a bit more pockets of wetlands. But they may not have been in the Penobscot themselves since that's fairly deep and fairly swift. But off to the sides of it, there would have been tons and tons of wetland. How about the swamps up in northwest Maine, you know, where the – where Benedict Arnold took his trip up to Quebec, that area? Yes, or or the Suncase, you know, in the lands off the Suncase. I understand there was a lot more of that kind of wetland and of I, course, they would all become extraordinary good farmland. Uh, a lot if, of if, our if river land, that's correct. A lot of our yeah. riverside land became extremely good farmland once they were, quote-unquote, a little more drained. So because the dams collected silt? Is that yes. part of the, the, yes. the, pro, the, the process of becoming fertile land? And the beaver making its home makes homes for others uh, all the way up the food chain from insects and all the way up. And when they die, um, their organic matter goes into the water and gives a very, very rich soil bed. Very good. So what David's – thank you, David. Uh, Thanks, Doc. The the point of millions of beavers, um, there's – the family unit is a colony – so who makes up the colony? How big are they? How small? And how do they distribute themselves? Usually a uh, beaver lodge or colony is made up of the set of, I'll call them parents, and two years of their offspring. 
depending on the health of the wetland, there may be several families living up and down the watershed. How close to each other? It depends on the resources they have. If they have to travel a long way to get enough food for the one lodge, then they're spread out, and they might be a mile or two apart. If the area has a lot of resources, a lot of wood and cattails and lilies and things that they like to eat, then you can go up and down a river even now and see one quarter mile from the other one. Um, so that really kind of depends. So there's the parents and then there's this year's kits, uh, part of the litter, and then there's usually last year's kits or part of the litter, and they are all live together in the same lodge. Litter size is what? What's your range? It's usually four or five now, but the range is one to nine, and it's dependent upon the health of the mother. So again, we're back to the health of the resource. Right. So you could have quite you a could, family. You could. You in could. One lodge, or do they? I mean, in the good old days, you could probably have twenty in there. Jeez. Easy. I think it's still not unusual, though, in a healthy wetland to have ten. And they all—they all live in one in one lodge. The whole fa- that whole family will usually live in one lodge, and then again, there may be other lodges up and down uh, the watershed. And after the second winter, then usually the kits of that that are two years old are becoming mature, and they want to kind of strike out and find their own place. Get their keys to the car. Yeah, get the heck out. That's right. As they should, because the parents so, are probably tired of them. Again, they'll go up and down the watershed if there's enough resource. And if not, they have to cross from watershed to watershed. That could be dangerous. That's very dangerous. That's the time most of them, um, except for trapping, that most of them will be killed. Relocating is their most common, most dangerous time. Yeah. And how could it not be? Because they don't know where they're going. That's right. And they're very slow on land. They don't have a lot of defenses. Their biggest defense against their predators is the water. That's why the den opening to their lodge or, you know, is underwater. That's why they have to make their dams to bring that water level up and make sure it stays up. That's why the purpose of the dams exactly. is safety. Exactly. Have the lodge be safe. Also, uh, with the dam with the dammed up water that allows them to swim longer to their resources, right? It does. So it's as safe to get to the trees. That's right. Okay, very good, very good. Um, So David had a, a, you know, that was a good point by him. With so many beavers, the the new two-year-olds had to strike out and find new water sources. And I bet you our water, our you know, Penobscot River did look a lot different, if not in the river itself, certainly in oh, no. all the wetlands right. on the side of it, just like little little wetland ponds all over the place. And when the lodges are made, uh, one of the things that the beaver will do to try to keep themselves safe is, you know, they'll build the lodge with sticks. They're a great recycler. So first they cut down the stick, they eat not the wood itself, but um, a layer underneath the bark, the cambrium, Cambium, 
And um, after they eat that, then they recycle the stick, which is no longer any good to them. And they're real cute when they eat. They eat it like a roll of corn. <laughs> they, they literally turn it around. Any and butter and salt yeah, on that? Or? Yeah, it's crazy to watch them. <laughs> but at any rate, then they'll recycle the stick into their dam or into their lodge. And when they have enough sticks for the lodge, they actually then will chew through them and make the rooms after the pile of sticks is there. Oh, they don't. They don't try to make a correct. Uh, not the same way we would do it. Oh, okay. Uh, my engineer John has a question. <laughs> yeah, and I, I. This is fascinating. Thank you so much for talking about this because very, very close to us here in the studios in East Orland, there's a place called the the Great Pond Mountain Land Trust, and there's a trail called the Esker Trail. Can you mm-hmm. do you know about that? Can I you, absolutely do. Oh, tell us about it. Uh, it's a it's a trail that's we've. I've done a walk down that. And um, there's a lot of beaver sign there, a lot of stuff. What are you seeing there. down there so people can... So as you walk down that trail, and it's very close to the south gate, so anyone that's interested could go to the south gate of the Great Pond Mountain Wildlife Trust and go in the road, walking north. Within about a quarter mile, you'll see the Esker Trail on your right. Walk down that, there's a couple boardwalks, and in short order you'll get to an area where there's a lot of stumps. I think it's mostly maple and beech, but at any rate, a lot of stumps that have been chewed. Again, look at the color. Are they blonde? Are they gray? Do they have turkey tail fungus on them? Continue walking down there, and in a little while, you'll see some beaver flowage on your left and a dam up ahead of that. Um, and the just, escort- one, just one dam? Well... Kind of a combination of dams. You know, from from the pathway, it looks like it's about a half a mile long. It, it does goes, look huge. Goes huge. Do you know how big it is? I do not, um, but I have walked it, and they are adding to it uh, each year. <laughs> and so that's a pretty well, yeah, that's a that's a pretty active area in there right now. And it used to only be on the left of the trail, but now there's some more water starting to be held back on the right of the trail as you go in from that direction. And there's a couple lodges there, and uh, it's a really interesting place to look at the sign of the beaver. But the the esker, part of the esker is the buildup of um, some of that, I don't know, sediment or and land being held back. And I think some was glacial. And, of course, they may, they may change that landscape. They may flood that out. And eventually sediment will build up and uh, the, the kind trees of, will die. And- yeah, the kind of cycle is that the beaver will come in and making what they need for a house. And they say that uh, the beaver changed the landscape so much that there's only one animal on earth that changed their landscape more, and that's man. So second only to us. I think sometimes we feel in competition with them. (laughs) But uh, they change their landscape to make a life for themselves. And that beaver pond then becomes a really good place for insects to lay their eggs. And then because the insects lay their eggs, uh, frogs and tadpoles and salamanders and birds and other things that need those eggs are attracted to the pond and it goes on up the food chain because some of those other small things are there the snakes come because the snakes and the salamanders and the frogs come the raccoons and the um, birds of prey birds of prey and the things that eat them come 
because there are stumps that might be sprouting because they've been chewed last year. Good food. The deer come for browse. The rabbit come for browse. Oh, well, now the fox are going to come. And it goes on up the food chain like that. And that the beaver, it's called a keystone species because in the effort of making a safe home for itself, it's created this home environment for lots of other animals as well. So the, like the, the foundation, like that's the what foundation. keystone means. The, the, Correct. The key. They're the key. Without them, it couldn't happen. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the American Wood Duck Association credits the comeback of the wood duck upon the comeback of the beaver. And they said it would have never happened, the comeback of the wood duck, without the beaver coming back first. Because the wood duck need dead standing trees. Well, they have them because the beavers flooded the area. They kill some trees. They need to be uh, next to the water or in the water, done. And they need a rich resource in that water as well. When you mentioned... um at the Great Pond Mountain, the uh, the type of tree, maples and maple they're, trees. Their very favorite tree are in the willow family. Right, because they're what I read. They're choosy generalists. Choosy generalists. Yeah, that's what I read. Well, so they they won't just have one species. No, but they're kind of choosy about the species. They're very choosy. So with willow and aspen, and their very favorite are uh, willow family, aspen, poplar. And willow. And that's Those are probably their very favorite. Um, and that's of trees. I think right. Those are all soft. They're all soft. Right. If you're out in your own yard and you're cutting down little shoots yourself, you'll notice that they almost crunch and snap yeah. like a piece of celery wood when you're working with them. You so know, they're succulent. And, and the, the absolute favorite probably isn't even wood, but it's aquatic plants such as water lilies and cattails. And that's in the summer. Correct, and they can eat the roots of the cattails in the winter if they can get down right. if they're not frozen. I wish they liked alders. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they go alders. on to sugar maples and ashes. Oh no, and we oaks. don't say that. Uh, then okay. finally, alders. They don't really uh, like those and hawthorn like beam. <laughs> and if you see them eating pine or hemlock, you can really impress your friends. You can predict that the beaver will be out of that pond in a year <laughs> or two, and you can look really smart because they just don't like those. Like foods. Johnny Carson. That's, Johnny Carson, the great. Exactly, the great Houdini, Houdini or whatever, whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, we have another question. Uh, Bernie from Wellington. Good morning, Bernie. Oh, good morning. Yeah. I was wondering if um, the beavers move rocks. Uh, I have a stream up here where I am that has uh, a very deliberate blockage of rocks across the stream. It's um, one of their favorite things, Bernie. It is? It is. They move a lot of mud and a lot of rocks. They'll use almost anything to make that dam, and they will also use it to secure the lodge because the bobcat and their other predators, the um, wolverine, the fisher, they could pull apart the sticks, the black bear, but they use mud and the rocks that come up with it as cement. And it mm. makes their structures much more secure. And the only thing they don't mud in on their lodge is their breathing hole. That remains just sticks so that air can pass. Are the rocks just the foundation or are they throughout? 
They'll be throughout. Really? And mostly they'll put them on the top. They can start with the bottom. I guess they'd be a, a choosy generalist in that category as well. They'll use what they have. Right. You'll see pop bottles in there if we left <laughs> trash behind. That doesn't mean you, you leave know? them behind, by the way, <laughs> just, just so everyone knows. Leave no trace. <laughs> but they absolutely like to mud it off and use rocks at the end. They carry almost everything in their front paws. They have great dexterity and they pat it in with their front paws or lean into it with their body. Uh, contrary to our cartoons, they don't turn around and smash it in with their tail. <laughs> They're, oh shocks! Oh shocks! That would have been nice. <laughs> so they have. So so thank you, Bernie, for that qu- very good question. Um, they also, what they do is they take some of the sticks and they actually stick them down into the bottom of the stream. Yes, to get it started. So they know how to 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 make it secure. Correct. And, and against, against the um, they lean it against, against the current. Against the current. Oh and my if, gosh! And if there's much current or a very long span of dam, they will uh, bow it up into the water. To give it more strength. Wow. And they think that they come with some of this ability innate, but they also think that's why the kits hang around for two years. Learn the trade. Because some of it is learned behavior. We're talking with Christy Stout about beaver ecology. It's just fascinating uh, how beavers affect the whole environment. And this is uh, Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, Aardvarks and Zebras on WERU. And we're just going to take a 30-second break and we'll be right back. take a quick look at the weather while we're waiting for the folks in the studio to stand by. Uh, it's going to heavy, heavy, heavy rain today with a heavy rain turning to maybe thunderstorms this afternoon and a high of 63 and a low of 60 tonight. Tomorrow it's going to be sunny though, high of 86. So it's looking great for the weekend. Maybe a little rain tomorrow night, but the weekend's looking good. Oh, we're back again with Christy Stout talking about beaver ecology. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, aardvarks to zebras, beavers up in the towards the aardvark part of the alphabet. Uh, I don't think I'll ever get a zebra in here, but uh, who knows? Who knows? So we are having some great conversation about uh, the beavers. And, and you mentioned the front paws and how they're smaller, but they're very dexterous. We all seen them use their hands, um, but they're also very adept in the water. There's certain things that make them Absolutely. such great water. Uh, They're like little furry torpedoes. So tell us about that. They're really good swimmers. And as a matter of fact, the young can swim within about two weeks, hold their breath long enough to swim a little bit within about two weeks. But they have special adaptations for swimming underwater. One, I say they have built-in goggles, but they have a nictating membrane under their eye so they can keep their outer lid open not have the water right in their eye, look through that nictating membrane. It's clear. It's not like a dog. A dog is... is No, it's clear. So it it comes down, they can see through it, and um, they have protection for their eye. And they're small, too. The eyes are small. They are very small, yeah. And um, they in their noses and in their ears, they have special valves. So if they go underwater, 
the valves close. So they don't have the problem that I might have about water up my nose or water in my ear. They don't get swimmer's ear. They just have these valves that close. Uh, by the pressure of the water, they automatically close. Yes, it's yes. not a muscle that I, – I don't think so. It's just a, the physics I, of it. I think it's a I, – I don't know. I would love to know more. But uh-huh. I know. I know. Don't give me that look. <laughs> <laughs> I want you back to answer these questions. <laughs> um, and they have webbed, webbed hind feet. Okay. And they are built-in flippers. And then their tail they use as a rudder. And so they kind of – they don't actually swim with that or, or use it as it's a – It's not a power thing. It's not a power it's thing. It's a direction. But it's a direction thing. So the power is the, the rear legs. Yeah. But and they're streamlined like a – They're very streamlined. Has, okay. They're, How about uh, the uh, fur-lined lips? Well – Is that – I think I don't the, think they eat a lot underwater, but again, they they have membranes that can they can have their mouth open without it going down their throat. That's what I yeah. That, without the water going down their throat, wow. and then they waterproof their fur, so they have two glands, um, anal sets of anal glands. One has a substance in it called castorium, which, believe it or not, is still used on perfumes. Mm, um, yummy. It's it's used. Um, I know, <laughs> but it works apparently. <laughs> um, it it holds the scent. Um, uh, okay. They use it in their scent mounds. The castorium. Correct. Okay. And they have an oil gland, and that they use. I think they use both of them, but mostly the oil gland uh, for grooming for where's, grooming where's the their fur. Gland? It again, it's an anal gland. Okay. So two pair. So you have anal glands and castorium glands. Yep, and they're in the same general location. And the castorium one is used for waterproofing? I think mostly the oil gland is used, but I think if you get a little castorium, big deal. Okay. And then they have this really cool thing. It's kind of an underwater kind of adaptation where they have split nail, particularly like what would be our ring finger. Okay. Our th- their third finger. And that nail is split enough that they can groom the hair on both sides and bring the oil and get both sides of every piece of hair on their pelt. That's a rear leg? Oil. Split nail? Uh, it, yes. Okay. So they can both reach rear up. legs, yeah. And sometimes you'll see it on more than one nail, but it's always pretty prominent on the third one. And um, they'll groom each other as well. So when you – the fur you have here, if you pet a beaver out in the wild, would they feel oily? Much more oily. OK. This is all oil taken out. Correct. OK. OK. That makes sense. And I read that you could sex a beaver with the anal gland color. Well, that's good. I don't – see? You'll have to have me back. <laughs> it's, Tell me, John. <laughs> Well, as a veterinarian, anal glands were a very big part of my practice. <laughs> I expressed many anal glands, but I was reading about sexing, and one way is is the color of the anal glands. And if it's dark, it's I think it's a male, and if it's light, it's a female. Well, and uh, the me, technical name it. of the beaver is Castor canandesis. Yes. And um, the castor, some people say, is really meant for the castor oil. 
that were the castorium that we were just talking about that's used in the perfume and used on the scent mounds. And uh, most serious people I talk about think that that's really the reason the beaver got its name. But other people will say that it's for the Latin from castrated castor because their sex glands are discreetly tucked up inside and you can't tell what sex the beaver is often. And that's what, yeah, that's why they had to use anal glands. Also, looking for the mammary glands for the female. Well, that would be a giveaway, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. But if they're not, who's going to get that close? Right, and if they're not nursing, you're not going to see them. Right. Uh, so the other, so they are really just um, amazing underwater swimmers. The other thing that happens when they go underwater is that their heart rate slows. And they don't use as much oxygen, so they can stay under as long as about 15 minutes. That's a a long time. Yeah, for an adult beaver. If you have any questions for Christy, please call 469-0500. It's Dr. Hunt for Let's Talk Animals. So please give us a ring. Uh, The tail, you said, is not for – it's a rudder. Are there other – Absolutely. That, that the tail does. It's really help. used a lot in balance. And it, many times, it's kind of fun to see if you happen to catch a beaver standing. Many times, they'll pull the tail in front of them. Like tuck it underneath? Tuck because, it under, and you'll see it hanging like a, out in front of them. Like because, a seat? Like a seat, because that's the way they're better balanced in that case. That way they can use their freeze their front legs? Correct. Wow. Other times when they're standing up to chew on a stump they'll it'll be they'll be up on their hind legs and it will be their balance point again a little bit like a tripod mm-hmm. not way up to the top but again it will give them a lot of balance the other function it serves is it has a lot of fat stores in it and so it really helps them survive the winter under ice when they can't get to their resources their food as much to eat it helps sustain them through the winter so you will see beavers emerge from under the ice in the spring, a little thinner than mm. you saw them in the fall. Now, I, I don't know where I got this, but the, the Canadians have eaten beaver tail. Have you ever? I, I've it? heard that beaver tail occasionally was served, and sometimes it was called beaver paw, oh. even though it wasn't <laughs> the paw of the beaver. But I've also talked to some trappers who tell me because it is so fatty. It really doesn't taste that great. The better part of the beaver to eat, the beaver meat, would be like the muscle on on any other animal. And that's the part more commonly eaten. But it is something that was fed to sled dogs and Uh. other animals because it is so nutrient-rich and certainly would help those animals um, have energy for the work they were to do. So another – Use of the tails for communication. Absolutely, I think people have heard the, you know, the famous slapping. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. That's a warning call to the other beaver that somebody is invading the territory, and uh, I think sometimes they get a little carried away with it. <laughs> uh, but they will slap. I took a group out in Bangor one time, and we were trying. We went out at dusk. We were trying to see beaver, but we didn't want to interrupt them too much. And uh, I'm happy to say that they didn't slap their tails, so they weren't alarmed enough. But we did see them, and they did notice us. Their eyesight is horrible, but their scent, their 
sense of smell is terrific. And they picked up that we were there. And their hearing is good too, right? Their hearing is pretty good as well. And so there's this one little lone beaver and about 10 of us standing by the side of the beaver pond. And it starts swimming right at us like it's challenging us. (laughs) And I – you know, kudos to it. I had to really kind of respect it. And it circled back and it came back at us really straight and strong again. Um, And it never did slap on that occasion. But they will slap, uh, like I said, as a warning, tells other beavers to go down. One time I was canoeing at dusk. I should have known I was in a beaver area, but I didn't. And uh, I was looking for the campsite, and a beaver came up and slapped right next to me. I almost fell right out of the canoe. Holy cow! Must have scared the heck out of you. So I'm like, you know, a good a good environmentalist. I'm like, oh, let me get out of your way. Let me get out of your way. So I (laughs) I quickly paddle away, and the thing's still slapping back in the original area. I must have been a mile away, and I could still hear it coming up and slapping and going back down. Jeez. I must have surprised it as well. And probably warning maybe there are a bunch of kids around. Perhaps. And they weren't listening. <laughs> See, it wasn't you. It was the kids. It's always the but kids. But so, yes, the tail is used for communication as well. And they do have a series of grunts and groans. Sometimes I've never heard them, but some people say that you can hear them in the winter when the kids are in the lodge and they're all under the ice together. Do they have a hissing too? I Oh, yes. You don't burps, wanna, you, wi- burps, whines, and hisses, I you don't want to hear the hiss. They're really mad or they're warning you to stay way far away. The hiss is bad. Correct. Kind of like a cat spitting at you. Exactly. But would they do their tail slapping at the same time? Do they vocalize and do it? Is it a combination? They're slapping their tail and hissing. I haven't heard both of those at the, the same time. But um, I've not ever challenged one to that degree. Yeah. You know, they could always slap their tail, dive and get away from me. I think hissing is more um, backed into a corner yes. or telling a, a competing male to stay the heck away. And scary, scaring the predator or whatever to stop. Exactly. Which is a very exactly. A warning. We have a, a question from Edie from Blue Hill. Good morning. Hi. I just wanted to say real quick because I don't want to miss a minute. Um, I'm loving the show. I love beavers. I have been on the Esker Trail a lot. Um, I'd like to go at night, but I'm not quite brave enough. Um, I've also seen beavers a lot at the Oxbow um, Nature Preserve down near Harvard, Massachusetts. Um, and any place that I can go to see them, I just I just love that. Um, there have been a few times over uh, at some of the other nature preserves in the area where I've um, been to see them. And I wanted to mention two books that I've loved. One is called Beaver Sprite, um, and another by Hope Ryden. She wrote about a year observing beavers, and um, I really loved both those books. And um, I'm a homeopathic practitioner, and I thought you might be interested to know that there is a homeopathic remedy made from beaver, made from The castorium? um, Yes, Mm mm-hmm. And I've never uh, used it, but I've I've fascinated to know that it exists, and I've enjoyed, you know, learning about it. So that's what I wanted to add. And thank you so much for the program; it's wonderful. Thank you, Hope. Thank you very much. I think I might have read that second book about the year and life of a beaver. She followed a whole beaver family for a year, got right in a, a blind, and um, it w- it was an excellent book. Awesome. It was an excellent book. I agree. 
One more thing about the tail. Is there something with the heat? Regulates heat? It does help regulate heat, the tail as well. And that, that can help them with the really frigid. And it's interesting in the lodge in the winter. How, yes. How, how's my question? How do they get through the winter? Isn't that amazing? Well, first of all, they have to prepare. So in the kind of yearly life cycle of a beaver, they come through the ice in the spring. In winter, they kind of have it easy. It's a nice time. They have a lot of food. They don't really do much work. But the first hard frost in the fall really triggers them to rebuild their dam. Um, Of course, they'll repair the dam even in the summer if their water level is dropping. But they want to bring that water up a little bit more in the winter. They rebuild the lodge. They add on to it. They remud everything. And they start making a, a cache of food. So they take down a lot of trees and they stick the stumps right in the mud if they're in a shallow pond or they'll just make a big bunch of them the right, right outside their lodge. Is that the raft? You're That's about? the raft okay. or the cache, cache that they're going to eat from all winter long. Is that right next to the lodge? It's right next and to the lodge. Are, how big are these It caches? depends on how big the family oh, is. that makes sense. But certainly they can be a 12 by 12 and they Jeez. could be six feet you know, down or five feet down. A lot of beaver ponds are only three to five feet. And then, geez, John, now they finally take your alders and they, <laughs> they put them on top to kind of weigh down oh, the cash and, yeah, and bring the good food down to where they want it. And, and doesn't the good food, when they, they kind of press it down from the, with the alders, they, it gets waterlogged, right? It does get a little and waterlogged. It sinks a little bit. So they it can does. come out of their... And it, it stays below the level of the ice nice. yeah, where so the, the ice forms. get the ice. And so when they go in the lodge, they typically have two levels of rooms in the lodge. The first level they go into, they dry off, they groom, they clean. Uh, and then the second level is more for living. And it's very – there's some pictures taken of lodges and the rooms in them, very clean. Um, it has like a sawdust floor or a grass floor that has dried where they've brought reeds in. It's and amazing. It's very nice. Where do they, do they leave the lodge to go to the bathroom, I assume? Uh, from what I understand, some people will say that they defecate in the water, but um, they re-ingest their feces to get food value out of it for the first time. So they will a lot of times be in that bottom room in the lodge and they will actually re-ingest their feces as they're defecating. You say, what do you mean by the first time? They pass it through twice. Okay. The first time I understand but have never seen it, it, that the feces would come out a little bit like porridge, very wet, and there's a lot of food value still in it. And the second time it comes out like sawdust. Okay. So they know the difference. So I, guess like they know, I guess they know which one is which. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, um, so they'll re-ingest the first time and that can even be in, in right on shore or in the water. And the second time they'll typically um, – have an area that trappers will call the toilet, uh, and it's usually 5, 10, 15 feet away from the dam, but very far away from the lodge, and that's when it will be like just a little pile of sawdust on the on the bottom of the so very pond. Clean. Very, very clean. Very, very clean. 
and this is kind of a morbid thought, but what happens if a beaver passes away in the winter in the lodge? Have they ever – I bet you they drag it out of there somehow. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know. And then they go into the raft or the cache and they have their whole winter And they supply. have their whole winter under there. Sometimes a pond level will drop down a little bit in the winter so they have breathing holes mm-hmm. or a layer of air above the water and they can um, get to different areas of the wetland to get more food or swim around a little bit. But the amazing thing is that inside the lodge is above freezing. It is held at about 34 degrees, a lot of times just because of the heat of the other beaver. Wow. Have you heard about them using a water bubble underneath the ice? Absolutely. Tell, I've got two, three minutes, so I want you to tell you about that and then tell us about that and then a final message. All right. This is fascinating. So uh, the water bottle bu- bubbles are very much like when the water level will drop. They'll either have water bubbles they exhaled before and they'll come back to them or they know that there's a layer of air and that will allow them to go a little bit further around their pond in the winter. So they make they blow out air to make a bubble that stays on the ice. It doesn't dissolve, doesn't uh, – Over time it would. But the, So they do that. Then they go off. They come – use that as kind of a relay station to get – Correct. Wow. To get a little further. But a lot of them don't go far from the lodge in the winter. They don't need to. Right. They don't need to. So I guess the parting thought yes. um, is that the beaver being this keystone species, we think helps a lot of the other animals and helps the whole ecosystem. But the really amazing thing to me is how they help us. And in the long run, we think beaver are more responsible for pure water than any of our wastewater treatment efforts, um, and as important as least as decreasing our point source pollution. The beaver ponds act as huge reservoirs of water. They help decrease drought in our summers because if our water table gets low, we just take more from the beaver pond. They decrease the chance of flooding when we have rains like today because they can hold so much water. And all of the sediment that is held that way takes out toxins from our water as it trickles down into the water table. And this kind of odd, wetland, scrubby-looking area is probably more responsible for the purity of our water than anything else. That's a great Parting message, Christy Stout, thank you so much for talking about beaver ecology. This is, I had a lot of fun. So please, uh, this is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, Aardvarks and Zebras. And remember, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug.
Let's take a quick look at the weather while we can before we start the next show. It's going to be rainy today, 100% chance of rain. Uh, 63 is the high. Tonight's going to be heavy rains and likely patchy fogs later on, a low of 60. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and then a chance of thunderstorms, 86 in the evening. Uh, daytime, 86. Tomorrow night is the chance of thunderstorms. It's going to be a nice day tomorrow, 30% chance of rain later on. And then Friday, chance of thunderstorms uh, very early, but then mostly sunny for the whole day. Take a look for a good, good weekend. From Pacifica, this is Democracy Now! Democracy Now! is a daily, independent, award-winning news program heard on the station Monday through Friday. 